Republican Senator Josh Hawley has announced he will be objecting to the Electoral College vote count on January 6th in Washington, D.C., giving us pretty close to clear confirmation that there will be a contested result, an objection in the joint session of Congress, and it likely will not lead to anything. In order for there to be a change, both chambers would have to agree. Now, there's also a lawsuit filed against other Republicans against Mike Pence, arguing that he has the right to choose which envelopes to open and count. And because Republican electoral candidates did cast procedural votes, he can choose to count them instead. Now, Hawley is saying that there are irregularities in certain states and they should be well, they should be uh, discussed and debated. As for this lawsuit, they're arguing that the state legislatures are the ones who've ultimately chosen this new slate and Pence should actually count them. Well, the problem with that Mike Pence lawsuit part is that the alternate electors they claim are coming in are not certified by anybody. Certainly, there have been many state legislatures who have said these are the official electors, but it's not been through a legislative session. There's not been a majority of the state's legislature voting for these these electors. And thus, Mike Pence probably probably will do nothing. More importantly, however, it appears that Mike Pence has actually rejected the calls from Republicans to actually stand up and count votes for Donald Trump. My friends, based on what we are seeing with Trump's latest actions pertaining to, say, the omnibus bill, based on what we're seeing now with Mike Pence saying no to this lawsuit, even with the objection of Senator Hawley, I do not expect anything to change in the Electoral College. Now, it's really funny. I say that. And I know there's already people on the right saying, well, Tim makes bad predictions. Therefore, he's probably going to be wrong. And what happens when I'm right? The left will clearly ignore it as well, because I've been saying the entire time I don't see Trump's legal challenges working as they've progressed, to be honest. And I've said that I believe 99.9 percent it is going to be a Biden presidency. Now, OK, OK, maybe something happens and Kamala Harris becomes president. That's something many people have said. But I don't see this progressing at all. In fact, many other pundits have said Josh Hawley is certainly going to stand up for the millions of voters who demand there be an objection, but it's fruitless. It's an easy thing to do. Not the easiest, because he's certainly getting attacked. Hawley's getting ripped apart by many leftists and media for doing this. In fact, in what may be one of the weirdest bits of criticism, Walmart official Twitter account tweeted at Hawley calling him a sore loser. Yeah, okay, some social media intern forgot to switch their accounts, but that actually happened. I mean, the, the, the political tensions are real. So will it go down in the joint session of Congress? This big battle to change the results? Probably not. But what about on the streets? You see, there's, there's fears that there's going to be widespread violence on January 6th in Washington, D.C., and now two different venues have shut down, saying they will not be open on these days. Many people, uh, even a former Trump uh, administration official says they fear there will be violence. Trump has called for people to show up. It's going to be wild, they say. And you know what? Probably will. It probably will get wild. But we'll see. We'll see. It's hard to know for sure. Maybe it's just going to be a peaceful rally and occupation. Or maybe when Josh Hawley goes in there and, and, and gives his objection and they debate, the debate comes back that Joe Biden's going to win. People snap off. Or more importantly, what happens if, John, on January 5th, the results come in? 
Democrats have won in Georgia and will now have control of all branches of government, assuming they pack the Supreme Court. And Trump supporters are geared up, ready to go in D.C. I mean, they're going to get really angry. It's hard to believe that Trump supporters would actually engage in this kind of behavior. I mean, if you read nothing but the mainstream media, you probably believe it. But Trump supporters don't go out and do this. I think they're going to rally, wave little American flags. And to be honest, I think they'll mostly be the end of it. But who knows? Let's read the story and see why Josh Hawley is objecting. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com slash donate. If you'd like to support my work, there are many ways you can give. Got a P.O. box if you want to send me some stuff. But the best thing you can do is share this video. Helps grow the channel and, you know, maybe gives an, a different perspective from the mainstream media. Certainly not a staunchly conservative or liberal perspective, but I try to be rational and reasonable. So if you think I do a good job, sharing this video is the best way to help. But don't forget to like, subscribe, hit that notification bell. Let's read the story from NPR. GOP Senator Hawley will object to electoral college certification. They say, Hawley said Wednesday he plans to object during the electoral college certification process when Congress convenes next week, a move that ensures a delay in the final step to mark President-elect Joe Biden's election victory. I got I to stop here and just point out the, the absurdity of how the media in this country works. They say that he's going to object to the certification process, but then they call Joe Biden president-elect. Then what is he objecting to if you're already calling him president-elect? You see, as most of you probably know, calling Joe Biden president-elect is more of a media tradition. It's not real. He's not legally the president-elect. We just kind of say it because we expect him to win because, I mean, every bit of the process has moved through. And now we're just basically going to rubber stamp the Electoral College vote count. There's a possibility that... I'll put it this way. Let's say, you know, 20 Democrat members of the House are all sick and they can't come and they can't vote. Uh, Okay, well, then I guess maybe Trump could win when they all object and then make Trump the winner. But come on, even Mitch McConnell's trying to stop this. You don't even have most Republicans. They got one Republican so far to commit to objection. I think it's going to be like 95 votes for Biden rejecting the objections. It's not going to happen. They're going to say, A tweet from Josh Hawley, he says, millions of voters concerned about the election integrity deserve to be heard. I will object on January 6th on their behalf. In the tweet, he released a statement saying, following the following both the 2004 and 2016 elections, Democrats in Congress objected during the certification of electoral votes in order to raise concerns about election integrity. They were praised by Democratic leadership and the media when they did, and they were entitled to do so. But now those of us concerned about the integrity of this election are entitled to do the same. Quote, I cannot vote to certify the Electoral College results on January 6th without raising the fact that some states, particularly Pennsylvania, failed to follow their own state election laws. And I cannot vote to certify without pointing out the unprecedented effort of mega corporations, including Facebook and Twitter, to interfere in this election in support of Joe Biden. At the very least, Congress should investigate allegations of of voter fraud and adopt measures to secure the integrity of our elections. But Congress has so far failed to act. For these reasons, I will follow the same practice Democrat members of Congress have in years past uh, and object during the certification process on January 6th to raise these critical issues. NPR goes on to say, Hawley is the first senator to announce publicly he will object to the results. That's significant because the rules dictate that for an objection to be considered, a member from the House and Senate must lodge an objection in writing. 
Rep. Mo Brooks of Alabama has already said he will object to the results as well. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell had reportedly urged Republicans not to object during a joint session as it puts GOP lawmakers in the uncomfortable position of supporting an objection that will likely fail and forces them to go on the record as to whether or not they concur with allegations of election fraud. Hawley's announcement paints a clearer picture of what the session on January 6th will look like. Biden will still be certified as the election's winner, but it's now certain there will be a debate and vote in both chambers. Here's what the process will look like. Both the House and Senate will retire to their own chambers and speak in favor or against the objection, according to Congressional Research Service. That period should not take longer than two hours. Each chamber then votes with a simple majority needed to uphold the objection. Both the Senate and House must agree to the objection for it to succeed, a requirement that makes any ultimate success on the objection unlikely, given the Democrats' majority in the House. This all stems from Trump's baseless claims about election fraud, as it became clear voters won't grant him a second term. Various lawsuits filed on behalf of his campaign and his allies in the states he did not win were thrown out in court. Trump's attorney general at the time of election, Bill Barr, has said the Justice Department found no evidence of widespread fraud in this election. Now, to clarify, Bill Barr said, of course, there's fraud. There's always fraud. But they had not seen fraud on a scale that would have changed the outcome of the election. I have personally corroborated some of this potential, potentially illegal ballots. I want to be very precise with my language. Again, What I saw was not evidence enough that the election results were changed because of it. But it's enough for me to say, why aren't we getting a hard inquiry and investigation? I'll tell you what's really amazing to me in all of this. We're talking about who gets to be the president. I think it should be fine to spend a month or two doing hard audits and investigations. But it's really simple, my friends. We do not live in a fair world. And that's obvious to most people, anybody who's an adult, I would say. And everything is propaganda, manipulation and influence. Lies and smears come out if you are not a part of the establishment elites. News organizations will push around fake news and lies. And that's the name of the game. It's not really about who got the most votes. It's not really about whether there was fraud. And I don't care if it's Trump or anyone else saying otherwise. Trump's concern is winning. I believe that if Trump won, Joe Biden would be saying the exact same things. And I've said the inverse. Hillary Clinton told Joe Biden not to concede under any circumstances. And Trump thought it was a good idea. Now they're outraged that Trump is doing certainly what they would have done. In fact, there were many people screaming at the Electoral College back in 2016 about how they shouldn't be voting for Trump. We are now getting the inverse. But I think the important thing to point out is we do have evidence of fraud. It has been shown. It is, there is circumstantial evidence. There is data. And there is legitimate hard evidence. Now, why is it that before we say anything, any of it is proof, we say there's evidence, signs or indications something may have occurred. That's fine. The left immediately says, no, ignore it. It didn't happen. You're crazy. The right says it did. You see the problem? The left will never concede so long as they control institutions of power. They will use that power to prevent any transparency into their side. I certainly think the same would be true for Republicans. The Republican Party is crony establishment elite trash as well. Trump wants to win. Trump will fight with every ounce of his being to win. Now, I'll tell you where things start getting spicy and scary. There's apparently news that a a new probe or an ongoing criminal probe into Trump is ramping up once again. If Trump has nothing left to lose and there's a real risk he'll go to prison, why wouldn't Trump take some kind of dramatic action? I think he absolutely might. 
But it's it, 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 it's it rests upon whether or not supporters would actually come out for him. Now, as for whether Mike Pence and Trump will actually take any actions or more specifically Mike Pence, I just don't see it. Political reports. Pence declined to back Gomert led effort to upend elections, lawyers indicate. Rep. Louis Gomert is pressing to throw out long established procedures so that the president will win another term. I'm sorry. At this point, with with uh, Gomert and other Republicans challenging the constitutionality of an 1887 law, it's a law that's been in place for since 1887. Now it's being challenged. Clearly, the goal here is Trump must win by any means necessary. And I don't fault anybody for doing whatever they can to win. The challenge arises when the system breaks down, when you can't trust one side or the other, or you just know everyone's fighting as hard as possible for power. And then what happens is you choose who you trust. What information do you believe? I mean, look at this. I'm reading Politico and NPR, and we just choose to accept it as fact right now. Well, I'll tell you, I've looked into I I do basic fact checking and I avoid stories when I think they're buck. But Politico is not a good source. Why bother using them? The best source I could find the original report, I guess. But Politico both simultaneously reported that Ukrainians did interfere in the election in 2016 to help Hillary. And then later, a different reporter, Politico, reported that it didn't happen. And guess what? Whichever one you pick, you will get criticized for. Now, the real problem is the institutions and the establishment controlled by the establishment left. And they have allies in the progressive left who kind of just go along with what they say. Fake progressive pundits who do everything they can to claim to be progressives, but actually just support the machine. The establishment leans left and progressives will take what they can get and they tend to support it. So when they put out fake news, when they lie, that's allowed. When they push insane conspiracy theories for years, that's allowed. But heaven forbid you read one of their own stories that they later on say was wrong. How about TechCrunch, which published that hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin was showing promising results in tests to help with COVID? When Trump repeated it, instantly, it was a conspiracy theory. And Trump was acting in, in, in a dangerous way. That's the name of the game. They say... It's the uh, Rep. Louis Gohmert and Arizona's 11 Republican electors have revealed Tuesday that Vice President Mike Pence declined to sign onto their plan to upend Congress's certification of President-elect Joe Biden's victory. It's the first indication that Pence is resisting some of the most extreme calls to reverse the presidential election results, thus relying on his role as the presiding officer on January 6th when Congress meets to finalize Biden's win. Gomert and the Arizona electors sued Pence this week to throw out the procedures that Congress had relied upon since 1889 to count electoral votes. Instead, he said, Pence has the unilateral authority to determine which electors should be voted should be voted upon by Congress, raising the prospect that Pence would simply override the choices made by voters in states like Arizona and Pennsylvania that Biden won to introduce Donald Trump's electors instead. You want to know why I say that's ridiculous? The idea that the sitting vice president who's running for re-election could just to choose to vote for himself, I'm sorry, that makes absolutely no sense. If you want to raise objections because there's impropriety or irregularities in these states, then I agree with you. And I think you have your constitutional right to do it. In Iowa, a Democrat is challenging the results. It's her right to do it. But the Democrats are claiming it's wrong for Trump to do it. Well, that's hypocrisy. Certainly, if Trump can do it, the Democrats can do it. That's only fair, right? We are not playing fair. The game isn't fair. And the rules are being bent by those who seek power. 
in the end, you just have to choose which conqueror you will you would prefer to live under. Now, let me tell you about my real fears for January 6th. It has nothing to do with, with Mike Pence. It has nothing to do with Josh Hawley. It has a lot more to do with the insanity that is gripping this nation. Mediaite reports, Walmart Twitter account goes rogue. Supermarket calls Josh Hawley a sore loser for electoral college objection. Tweeting out, go ahead, get your two hour debate, sore loser. Okay, most of us know what this is. The employee working at Walmart for the or whoever managed their social media forgot to switch accounts. It's not really Walmart making this declaration, but it is a, a, a Walmart employee, a Walmart employee who's in control of digital marketing. There was a study done a couple of years ago that shows digital marketing firms overlap with resistance Twitter. That's why you see all of this advertising tends to be leftist. People in this country are hyper polarized to such an insane degree. The person who is tweeting for Walmart's PR department is yelling at Josh Hawley. And now you see it. Now you hear it. Ex-Pence aide turned Trump critic, very concerned about January 6th violence. They say a former aide to Vice President Pence, who has since become a vocal critic of the Trump administration, warned Monday that she feared violence could erupt in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, when Congress will formally certify President-elect Joe Biden's Electoral College victory. Quote, I'm actually very concerned that there will be violence on January 6th because the president himself is encouraging it. Olivia Troy said an appearance on MSNBC's deadline. Well, this is the dirty game they play. Trump said, be there, it will be wild. Trump didn't say show up and do anything violent. And even Alex Jones called for a peaceful protest and protest occupation, clearly nonviolent civil disobedience. But this individual isn't saying these things on TV because they want you to be informed. They're saying it for political points. They're saying it. They say the lie. They repeat the lie. They seed the lie. And it works. They control the institution. So what does it matter what they think and what you think? This is where things truly start getting really crazy. I mean, they can just say anything they want. Trump encourages violence. And now what we're going to get, numerous news outlets are all going to start repeating the same thing over and over again. And they'll just say it's true. And then Wikipedia will enter into the record. Donald Trump encouraged violence on January 6th, which he didn't do. But when they say that, what happens? Leftists hear it. And then they start encouraging violence and then people on the right react and the Proud Boys show up and they fight back. So, yeah, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. But it wasn't just this individual. MSNBC has another op-ed from Steve Bannon, not Steve Bannon, Bannon. Trump's desire for wild protest sparks fear among U.S. officials. One observer noted that Trump will fail in Congress, but the greater danger is on the streets where pro-Trump forces are already threatening chaos. They say it was nine days ago when Trump announced via Twitter there would be a wild protest in the nation's capital on January 6th. They say, and what, pray tell, does Trump expect to happen on January 6th? As lawmakers certify his successor's victory? He hasn't said. Wait a minute. He hasn't said. But I thought they said that he was proposing, he was encouraging violence. Oh, Trump didn't actually say anything other than be there. It'll be wild. They go on to say, Washington Post's David Ignatius noted that even some Republican officials are concerned the outgoing president may try to overstep the constitutional limits on his power. They say Trump's last ditch campaign will almost certainly fail in Congress. The greater danger is on the streets where pro-Trump forces are already threatening chaos. Government officials fear that if violence spreads, Trump could invoke the Insurrection Act to mobilize the military. 
Then Trump might use military capabilities to rerun the November 3rd election in swing states, as suggested by Michael Flynn, Trump's former national security advisor. Trump could take military capabilities and he could place them in those states and basically rerun an election, Flynn told Newsmax in a December 17th interview. I don't believe these people. They're conspiracy crazies. I just I just don't see anything like this happening. But I will tell you this. You know, looking at how the media has handled everything, looking at how uh, people on the right feel, the fracture is here. It's really funny. The left would like to criticize me for saying that New York state violating the Constitution, shutting down small businesses and barring people from practicing their First Amendment rights and Second Amendment rights, for that matter, while putting up checkpoints does not constitute a pseudo secession. I said that New York may have all may may have all uh, uh, might as well have seceded from the union by doing all of these things and that Trump is doing nothing to enforce the Constitution in any of these states. Why? Well, because Trump is not the despot they claimed he was. So now we have states like New York, New Jersey, Michigan, Pennsylvania, clearly in defiance of the U.S. Constitution. Many of these governors put sick people, covid patients into nursing homes, killing the elderly. And nothing is done to ensure justice or to enforce the Constitution under uh, where in the Constitution does it say that the governor has the authority to put ill people in nursing homes? And where is anyone to say that crossed the line? Well, ProPublica did, and they're a fairly left-leaning organization. But tribalism is so intense in this country that it doesn't matter that people will actually defend governors shutting down churches, but allowing pro-Biden individuals to jump around in the streets and drink champagne, take their masks off. They'll defend it. When you see that people are marching in the streets for racial justice. And the only excuse they can muster up is, yeah, well, racism is bad. When you see people dancing around because Joe Biden was declared the victor and drinking champagne, and they say, yeah, well, you know, that's fine. But then they tell you, you can't go to church. You as an individual can't go to a church of, say, 50 people. Clearly, they are not telling you the truth. They are not operating in good faith. And their only goal with the lies and the media smears is to destroy you. I guess we're in the counting heads phase. So one way to put it, the goal from the mainstream media is to beat enough people in a submission to just accept the establishment elites and their control over you. People on the right are resisting because, well, they don't like that. And they certainly, you know, many individuals on the right want their power as well and don't want to live under the despotic lunacy of many of these lying media elites and political elites in the political establishment. For too long, the American people have ignored what's been going on. And what we see in the media with their lies and manipulation and smears, it's been allowed to carry on because the American people haven't been paying attention. What I find truly interesting right now is that, you know, you have the Arizona GOP actually signaling that the the, the election was taken from Bernie Sanders, but many in the left still criticize and attack Trump supporters and the right. The most powerful thing this country could actually see is if the populists stopped fighting each other and started fighting the establishment. But then you can see where the high profile fake progressives come in, siding with the establishment while pretending to be progressive, saying, don't challenge Nancy Pelosi. You've got many progressives, people like Jimmy Dore, Kyle Kalinske saying, force a vote on Medicare for all. I support that 100 percent. I do. I support the demands of the progressives and the leftists who want the Democrats to vote for Medicare for all. 
Why is it then that the establishment progressives, those in Congress and the high profile YouTubers and personalities who claim to be progressives are rejecting the will of the populist left? Doesn't quite make sense, does it? Because the real issue is you have forces that pretend to be on the right and the left, and their real goal is to make sure we don't realize we actually have more in common with each other as populists and liberty minded individuals than any of us have with the establishment. But for some reason, there's money to be made. I wonder why among people to just support the likes of Joe Biden and push back Bernie or Trump. I'll tell you what I find also interesting is that Bernie Sanders is easily supported because the establishment will never let him in and he's not strong enough to get in. Trump is the insurgent who broke down the door and the establishment Republicans hate his guts. I wonder what would happen on January 6th if the Proud Boys said our beef is not with Antifa. I wonder what would happen on January 6th if Antifa said our beef is not with the Proud Boys. And both groups of supposed populists said our beef is with the establishment. I wonder then who really is being honest about being a populist. What's the, what's the, what's the, what's the real issue here? Why do the Proud Boys got to go to major urban centers for their protests, right? Go to Portland. What if they just went and did their thing in the middle of nowhere? People agreed with them. Same thing with Antifa. Why should I care at this point if Antifa wants to set up an autonomous zone in Portland? Well, I moved out of the cities. I'm done playing these games. If voting and fighting for these changes isn't going to work because the people who live there are entrenched in tribalism and just want to win. Well, then at a certain point, I say, you do your thing. I'll do mine. Look, I still live in this country and I believe in fighting for it. I believe in, you know, nonviolent civil disobedience, voting for people that you believe will will fight for your cause. But for the most part, we haven't seen any of that in a long time. You can keep fighting. You can make demands or I look at it this way. If Antifa wants to protest in their cities and have their way, well, then by all means, let them. Why should we enact the rules of Portland on rural uh, and suburban Oregon? If the red part of Oregon doesn't want to live under the laws of the city, then why does it have to be that way? How about we just agree to disagree and we can stay as one great nation and you just do your thing. And if you don't if you don't want guns, then don't have your guns in your city and then everyone else can have their guns. It's interesting and complicated. There are people in New York City who assert their constitutional right to say bear arms, but they lose the fight every step of the way. Where is anyone to enforce the Constitution? Because I'll tell you that one of the tricks they've done, particularly with, say, like uh, uh, with marijuana, was that they said, OK, we can't ban it, but you need to, You need to pay it. You need to buy a stamp to be able to buy it. But then no one sells the stamps. That's what they do in many states. They say, you, you, you we're not going to infringe on your right to have to own a weapon, but you need special permits, training and, and you know, uh, licensing that we don't give out. But if you don't get it, you can't buy it. They do that in states like New Jersey. They say, no, 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 you can have a weapon. Yeah, you just got to get this form. And then we try to get it. They roadblock you so you can't. But they did. But, oh, it's still legal to own the weapon, they say, with the right permit that you can't get. That's the gang. We're at a point now where people are talking about this peaceful divorce. It's been talked about for quite some time. Why should I argue with the likes of a progressive YouTuber who wants universal health care? How about they just enact it in their state? Why is that so hard? You look, if Antifa wants to occupy their city, I'm done arguing against it. The, the cops in there in these cities are destroying the small businesses. And at a certain point, everything's been wiped out. And, and and you know what? It is it is bad, you know, that these these bad people get away with doing bad things. But what do we do when most of the people who live there vote for this and want it? That's the problem. 
So do you want to live under the boot of authoritarians constantly begging the other people under the boot to stand up and push back? Or do you eventually say, I am not in the majority opinion here. I'll go somewhere else and live as I choose much more freely. And that could be outside the U.S. or it could be in the U.S. So I put it this way. On, 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 on January 6th, I don't understand why the left and the right would even be bothering fighting each other. Why is the left going to defend Joe Biden? That makes no sense to me. Why is the right going to go pick a fight with people who also don't like the government? And if Trump is out, it sounds like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. It's starting to look really good to a lot of people. I hope that come January 6th, it's peaceful. People get their point across. Maybe they can make they can enact some political change through nonviolence of disobedience. And I, I hope that's the way it, it, it goes. My fear, however, is that I'm hearing crazy stuff and the left is going to show up and there's probably going to be street battles. And once again, the left and the right will be fighting each other instead of, you know, the boot that's crushing them. That's probably what's going to happen. But I don't know, man. You know, a couple bars have already shut down. We've had the Hotel Harrington. We've had uh, Harry's Bar. So now we have got two two venues that have, that have shut down. And it seems like the only thing I can really predict is street fights. But um, predictions are worthless. You know, I, I don't think anybody should be coming to me to figure out what's going ha- to happen in the future. I'll tell you this. Many of the things I've predicted have absolutely been correct. And the left doesn't want to admit it. They'll pull select clips because, of course, no one bats at, you know, bats a perfect. Uh, I don't I know. Bats. What, what is it? A hundred or whatever. Is that how you say it? No one. Not, not everybody always bowls a perfect game. And there are a lot of things that I've pointed out over the past couple of years that have absolutely come true. A couple of years ago, I said the street fights we're seeing will escalate. And uh, politically, it will reach the top levels of government. And it did. We now have tribalism completely affecting our government. If you think it's bad now, like Josh Hawley objecting, what do you think is going to happen in two or four years? Do you think people will simmer, simmer down and calm down? I don't think so. Unless some dramatic changes happen. I'll tell you one thing. If Section 230 is repealed, then yeah, you will get the, the wool pulled back over your eyes and then we'll get a woke, new, beautiful, great reset future. There will be pockets of insurgency that will get wiped out and no one will have any idea what's going on. And that's where we're headed. And that's thanks to Donald Trump, to be completely honest. Mitch McConnell's the one opposing, uh, proposing repealing 230. And I'm sure the Democrats are pretending like they're upset about it, but they're probably stoked about it. They're probably super excited. It'll give all of these, te- these, these platforms so much more control to shut out whoever they don't want. Conservatives are already saying they don't care, though. They've already been shut out. So shut everybody out, right? Fine. So be it. Watch this. Watch the system crumble. I can't tell you what'll happen. Predictions are meaningless. Here's the information as it stands. I wonder what's going to happen. Comment below. Let me know what you think. Leave a good review on the podcast. Thanks for hanging out. Next segment's coming up tonight at 8 p.m. YouTube.com slash Timcast IRL. We will be live talking about a lot of this stuff and philosophy and aliens and whatever else. So uh, uh, thanks for hanging out, everybody. And I will see you all tonight at 8 p.m. YouTube.com slash Timcast IRL. Until then, I will, uh, adios. At first, I saw this story from Andy No, and I was horrified. A bunch of young teenagers on bikes attack an SUV with medical license plates, even stomping out the windshield, surrounding these people, taunting them. The vehicle speeds off, desperately trying to escape. People are all standing around filming, watching this in broad daylight as riotous behavior hits the streets. So you see, these young people, they know nothing's going to happen. New York City is becoming or has become a wasteland. Now, you might be saying, so what? 
attacked him. Some some young uh, ruffians masked with a car. That's worse than that, man. I mean, to be a bit more serious, the murder rate in New York City has skyrocketed. Violence is plaguing the city and it's getting really bad. But let me tell you this, because I want want to read you about the story. I'll show you some of this. You know, these kids on bikes, throwing their bikes at cars. What if I were to tell you that rats were eating pigeons and squirrels were attacking people? That's pretty crazy, isn't it? It's actually happening. New York is becoming a wasteland. I mean, maybe it already is. Check this out from Fox News. New York neighborhood residents report squirrel attacks. One woman was bit on her hands and arms. Why is that happening? It's all connected. The shutdowns have stopped people from going about their business, from being on the streets. So a couple things are happening. These kids riding around on bikes, there's no one to stop them. What are you going to do about it? These animals, they're not getting fed. So the squirrels are starting to get aggressive, desperate, and angry. They need food. People would, would go out, eat drop food and garbage. The squirrels would eat it. The squirrels are fat and happy. Now there's not enough food. So they're getting aggressive, angry, and desperate and attacking people. I kid you not. Seems kind of crazy, doesn't it? Well, if we go way back, we go back to September. Nauseating moment. A New York City rat tries to eat a live pigeon before the bird is saved by a pipe-wielding Good Samaritan. The bird is saved? What about the rat? Shouldn't the rat be saved by being allowed to eat the pigeon? You see how crazy things are getting in New York City. Rats are eating pigeons. Squirrels are attacking people. And kids on bikes are riding around smashing cars. I mean, it sounds, some of it sounds a bit silly, but it all is very, very serious. I mean, squirrels, they could have diseases. You get bit, you got to get a rabies shot. I'm pretty sure. I mean, if I got bit by a squirrel, I go to the doctor right away. Get that vaccine ASAP. Rabies, man. By the time you get symptoms, you're done. You're dead. You're dead. It's over. And it's a horrifying way to go. Apparently, they have some like experimental treatments where they'll put you in an induced coma to try and get you through the worst of it. And apparently there's a report that one person may have survived this, like only one person. So a lot of people think it's not even legit. But do you really want to be in New York City right now? From the New York Times, violent year in New York and across U.S. as pandemic fuels crime spike. A time without precedent saw huge increases in homicides and shootings in the city as some other types of crime plummeted. Now, let me tell you about these kids on bikes, but I'll tell you the craziest thing. The craziest thing is the only outlet I saw actually write about this is Russia Today. I don't use Russia Today. You know why? Russia Today likes to report on stories that inflame tensions in the U.S. But I think it's important to talk about at least some of the stories. Now, showing a video, dozens of teenagers surround an attack car bearing medical plates in New York. It's probably going to make people, you know, angry. But what's interesting is, shouldn't the people of New York be mad about this? Shouldn't everyone left and right be mad about what's going on in this city? What we're seeing in New York is coming to the rest of this country, and I hope you're prepared for it. Investors think that under a Biden presidency, the the economy is going to uh, face headwinds, they say. Mm -hmm. It's a, a calm way of saying Start selling, I suppose. I don't think that's necessarily the right thing to do. I think the U.S. dollar's in serious trouble because they're they just making it rain, printing out money like crazy. Maybe that's why Bitcoin is skyrocketing now at like, what, $28,000? Man, I'll tell you this. A month and a half ago, Bitcoin was at like 15, and people were like, you should buy some Bitcoin. So I did. 
What people don't realize about Bitcoin is that you don't spend $15,000. You can buy $5 worth of Bitcoin. And if you did, you'd now have like 10 bucks. Uh, not completely, but yeah, just about 10 bucks. Because I think it was at like 13. So yeah, you can buy tiny amounts of Bitcoin. It's skyrocketing. All of these problems are only going to get worse. Joe Biden's not going to release the lockdown. I don't see Trump pulling through and getting any kind of victory and saving this country in any way. He signed the omnibus bill. He redlined it. Democrats don't care. Joe Biden's going to get in. Osterholm's going to lock everything down. Mask mandate, economy, tank. I can't, I, look, I, I'm not saying it's definitive. You know, definitely not. A lot of people made predictions that Donald Trump would destroy the economy and the opposite happened. I have no reason to believe that Joe Biden is going to do right by the economy. Uh, it's yet to be seen. The Obama years weren't all that bad. It wasn't magic or anything. There were some problems, but it was a general, it was, it was a decent recovery from, you know, the economic crisis. Under Trump, though, it was just even better. Barack Obama said, you'll never reach 4% growth. You don't got a magic wand. Well, we'll see how things play out. But here's what they say over at RT. Intense footage from New York has gone viral, showing a large group of teens attacking a stopped car, then following the vehicle on bikes as it attempted to escape them. The videos shared around Twitter on Wednesday show more than a dozen bike riding teenagers surrounding an SUV with medical license plates. Some of them proceeded to punch the car's exterior and windows and even hit them with their bikes. A few youngsters jumped on the hood, slamming it with their shoulders or elbows. One dude jumps up on the car and then drop kicks the windshield, shattering it. You know what? I'm like, why, why, why do these kids think they can get away with doing something like that? There's no consequences. That's why. If I'm parked or I'm like, in, I'm in the road, right? And someone's running towards my car, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put it in reverse. And if they jump up on my hood and try to drop kick my windshield, I'm going to reverse. I'm not going to drive into them. I'm going to back up and get away from them. But what would have happened if this dude ran up on the, onto the hood of the SUV and then jumped and the SUV just backed away? They'd be a good, you know, eight or nine feet in the air and they'd come straight down to the asphalt. And then they'd figuratively eat it, as we say in skateboarding. People in the car just sat there and the people just beat on their vehicles. It wasn't that long ago we saw a bunch of Trump supporters get attacked in a similar way and they just sit there. And I'm like, dude, I don't know if you guys saw the video from the Black Lives Matter riots. There was a car on a highway and they surrounded it and started bat like punching the driver. She just peels out and then slams into some dude and he goes flying. And then the Black Lives Matter people were like, they're running us over. And like NPR showed a picture and they were like the tactic of the far right hitting people. And everyone was like, that driver was cleared of all wrongdoing. If you surround a vehicle and attack them, you can flee. It is not your fault. They're attacking your vehicle. And don't get me wrong. I wouldn't put past New York City to actually arrest you when you are the victim, because a lot of these blue areas seem to be doing that. Man, things are getting bad. I'll tell you this much. So look, I can tell you about the squirrels and the rats. Check this out. New York Times says, the first disaster in a year of perpetual crises hit the New York Police Department in March when the virus tore through the force. Soon the courts ground to a halt. By June, hundreds of officers were reassigned to cover mass protests against police brutality and racism, where police and protesters sometimes clashed violently. By August, gun violence was surging. And as December drew to a close, New York's 447 homicides made 2020 the city's bloodiest year in nearly a decade. The hobbled criminal justice system strained to contain the rise in violent crime driven by the pandemic's society-wide upheaval. I can't imagine a darker period, Police Commissioner Dermot F. Shea said at a year-end briefing, with reporters on Tuesday citing the confluence of the pandemic and the protests. The year's crime numbers give shape to 2020's tumult. 
transit crime and grand larceny. Often the stealing of laptops or iPhones of, of strap hangers plummeted as trains emptied out. But burglaries and car thefts spiked in a hollowed out city and bodegas, neighborhood staples during the throes of the pandemic saw an increase in robberies and shootings. You know why? Somebody wants to steal from you. Somebody wants to steal to make money. They see you on a train, they pickpocket, they steal your, your bag. They're satisfied. They got some cash. When they're gone, what do they do? Burglarize. They still want to steal stuff. They got to go find it now. Isn't that interesting? Criminals will seek out new means to steal and make money when the people aren't around. The crime gets worse. Now they're going in your stores. They're going in your homes. It's getting crazy. The same is true for any living thing. A rat trying to eat a pigeon. They're not just going to stop. Criminals who were, who were stealing things were doing it so they could get money to buy things. They're not just going to stop. They're going to find new ways to do it. It's going to get worse. And when they become desperate, people are going to lose their lives. Check this out. They say, by summer, the frustrations of shutdowns and economic collapse had burst onto the streets. Shootings had doubled. And most of them were concentrated in the areas hardest hit by the coronavirus and unemployment. The increase in violence resembles trends in many big U.S. cities where shootings and homicides have risen, even as the pandemic has driven down other crimes. We've never had a year like this in policing. When you've had a combination of a worldwide health pandemic, uh, health epidemic and a challenge to community trust, said Chuck Wexler, the executive director of the nonprofit Police Executive Research Forum, that has been a combustive, a combustible mixture. And the police in many ways were not prepared. OK, NYPD. If you want to violate your oath to the Constitution, by all means, go ahead and do it. But don't expect any sympathy from me when you do. Now, I will get the back of any officer who stops a violent rioter from destroying a small business or burning down someone's someone's home or, or property. But when that cop is the one who has taken a club to the, to, to the head of the store owner, figuratively, why would I defend them? I think it's really funny. I made a post about this. And these lefties are like, the right is now starting to realize that cops are bad. <laughs> uh, dude, look at like, do you know anything about who I am and like what I've covered? I'm all about principles, protecting the innocent, individual liberties and justice. And that means when you you have a roving band of teenagers smashing vehicles, we need cops to say that all cops are bad is stupid. We need the cops to go in there and deal with it. But then when you have cops blocking the entrance to a small business who has a constitutional right to assemble. Well, now you're an oath breaker and I will not defend you. New York City is a wasteland for a variety of reasons, and the cops contribute to it. No joke. You can't just say it's the pro it's a problem of crime because it, it, it is. Don't get me wrong. But it's also a problem of people can't open their business and go about their life because they're barred by the police. That's who went down in Staten Island. NYPD went to Staten Island. There was a bar about a block or two away. Everyone's open, but they were in the red zone. So the cops stood in front of the building and wouldn't let people inside. And they eventually arrested the guy. I think they arrested him more than once in New Jersey. You got I think it's Belmar. You got some gym owners. Cops showed up and arrested these men. And they were abiding by COVID restrictions, but they were just keeping their business open. They had all the social distancing, masks and proper, you know, uh, occupancy and everything. Government doesn't care. They want to watch you squirm. They want to squeeze you out. And they've got boot licking oath breakers who will do it for them. 
many good cops have quit. And I called the, I called these people heroes before. And, and, and my point was that refusing to follow corrupt orders is the right thing. But now I wonder what we really need. Are these cops just to enforce the law? I, I, I know. I know. Let me just they need to enforce the law. You got kids smashing up vehicles. Arrest them. You got people burglarizing. Arrest them. You've got despotic lunatics stealing taxpayer money to paint the street. Arrest them. These criminals, the cops who would stand in front of the of the business and and block people from getting in criminals, the hero cops should arrest them. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see for once in my life, for once in my life, a cop actually arrest another criminal cop. They won't do it. They won't put themselves on the line. Now, we've seen uh, it's okay to be fair. It's happened before. There was one like female cop who grabbed uh, a male cop who was beating a suspect and like pulled him off. But I, I want to see like a legit arrest. Seriously, I've seen so many instances where a cop commits a crime and the other cops just say, leave me out of it because they don't they don't want to cross the thin blue line. That's I guess what they say. They don't want to, uh, uh, you know, tattle or rat or snitch. Snitches get stitches, they say. Right. So these cops won't do it. For once, I would just like to see an honorable principled cop arrest the criminals. Now, I, I know they arrest criminals like, you know, people go around smashing stuff. I'm talking about right now, these cops who are destroying New York for, due to an unconstitutional edict. These aren't laws, but they don't care. So what do you get? You get New York wasteland, man. Now, look, I get it. You know, New York, New York City passes the grim milestone of 25,000 COVID deaths as Cuomo reduces quarantine period from 14 to 10 days in line with C- CDC guidance. New York City's got a, got a bed. You know, they're hard hit by COVID. So I'm sure a lot of these cops are just like, well, you know, it's, it's, we got it. We got it. Stop the spread of this virus. The problem is Cuomo. The problem is de Blasio. They're the ones who have set the city on fire and destroyed everything. Their policies failed. There are other bigger cities that weren't hit as bad as New York. New York got it the worst. You got Andrew Cuomo. He put sick people into nursing homes, killing them. 6,500, according to ProPublica. And you got Wolf, you got Wolf of Pennsylvania. You got Murphy. I think Whitmer did it too. I'm not entirely sure. Putting sick people in nursing homes. I'm sorry, man. You do that. And you will never convince me that it was an accident. How is that an accident? We know that people over the age of 70 are the most vulnerable. Older people are the most vulnerable. Let's take young, six, young, sick people, seriously, and put them in nursing homes. Why? Like the Javits Center where they set up the emergency hospital wasn't even full. It's like 30%. They could have put sick people there. I think Cuomo wanted to kill them. I'm not even kidding. Because what's, what's, what's the answer? It was an accident. I didn't realize putting sick people in nursing homes would cause them to die. Are you serious? I don't believe it. I don't. And if you and it, it's it's I, th- I feel like if you went to court, they'd convict the guy. But he's a despot and he's got bootlicking oath keepers who have surrounded him and are guarding him from accountability. And that's why New York is a wasteland. Animals are going to bite and eat you. A rat tries to eat a pigeon like it's just falling apart, isn't it? Now, here's the scary part. It's coming to the rest of the country. And you got a Joe Biden presidency who's going to guarantee that. From The Guardian, the World Health Organization warns COVID-19 pandemic is not necessarily the big one. Experts tell end of the year media briefing the virus is likely to become endemic 
and the world will have to learn to live with it. Now, you, you read that and maybe you say, finally, we'll realize we can't do anything to stop it and we need to just reopen and deal with it and people are going to die. And it's, it's horrifying. It is. But we never thought we were going to stop this thing. It was a novel virus. We knew this was going to be bad, so we wanted to slow it down. Okay, we're not immortals. We got to learn to live with it. The only problem is we know based on what Cuomo is doing, de Blasio, Whitmer, Newsom, Murphy, Wolf, etc., is their version of living with it is destroying everything. It, it seriously is like that uh, uh, SpongeBob meme. You see where SpongeBob and, 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 and uh, uh, Patrick, the starfish, standing there and the city is all completely destroyed and burning. And SpongeBob's like, we did it. We saved the city. That's what they think. It's kind of like, I don't know if you guys ever seen Age of Ultron, you know, the second Avengers movie, you know, so Ultron is his robot and he's programmed to, to stop, you know, the, the protect the planet, stop the war and everything. And so it's a very common trope. He's like, I know how to end all war, kill all the humans. It's like an old common trope that the AI is told you have to, you know, stop war and violence. And the easiest way to do it is to get rid of people. That's what New York is doing. New York is like, we're going to we're going to stop the spread of this virus by making sure everyone dies from it. Then it won't be spreading anymore because there'll be no one to spread it to. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, man, with the incoming Joe Biden and his plans for a nationwide lockdown, uh, or at least I should say his advisor's plans for a nationwide lock, not lockdown and mask mandates and his general ineptitude and inability to function properly. We're headed for some dark times. And Joe Biden himself said, we're heading for a very dark winter. Oh, great. You love to hear it, don't you? From CNBC. Investors believe the stock market could see headwinds under a Biden presidency. CNBC polled more than 100 chief investment officers and portfolio managers about where they stood on stocks under a new administration. Two thirds of the first four years of a Biden presidency will be worse for stocks than Trump's term. Still, Wall Street is optimistic the Dow Jones Industrial Average will reach new highs next year. Look at this. Will the first four years of a Biden administration be better for stocks than Trump's first four years? I think it'll be worse. Okay, to be fair, worse doesn't mean negative. It could just be that under Trump, everyone thought things would be great. Under Biden, they're going to go, ah, it'll slow down, but sure, fine, I guess. No, I think under a Joe Biden presidency, we're going to see riots, violence, the policies of Democrats that have destroyed their states will reach the executive. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, January 6th, all these people are going to be coming down to D.C., right? What happens if people are, are in D.C. the day early and they get the news? The Democrats have won the runoffs in Georgia. The Democrats now control the House, the Senate, the presidency. And with that, they will pack the Supreme Court and take all three branches of government. What do you think is going to happen when that happens? Do you think people are just going to be like, well, you know, I guess we lose. Let's have the Democrats do whatever they want. Or do you think there will be a simultaneously uh, a simultaneous mass explosion, figuratively, of people's brains? Trump supporters in D.C. will be angry and they will be inflamed hearing that all of this is going down. You look at the riots from the left that have gone on with impunity. The dancing in the streets and the celebrating of Joe Biden's victory, the ignoring the lockdown. And while these people are jumping up and down and dancing in the street or dancing on the graves of the COVID dead in the hospitals like these TikTok nurses, regular people are getting this rage built up inside of them and they're finally going to snap. You see, watching these videos of people smashing a medical vehicle, 
How come only RT covered it? How come no one else is talking about what's going on? I mean, obviously a lot of people are, but I mean like mainstream media. Where's the story about this stuff? Where's the concern about this stuff? It means a little bit for sure. But don't you think people would be fed up? Don't you think when the leftists were dancing in the street that Biden won, there would be some kind of criticism? Nope. These people went out and danced and partied like morons. And then they say, but you can't run your small business. You can't even assemble as is your constitutional right. But they can. They absolutely can. That's the joke. You carry on a Black Lives Matter banner and they'll allow you to do whatever you want. So at what point do people just scream, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore? They're going to go to their windows. They're going to open it up and they're going to scream. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. January 6th, maybe or maybe not. Maybe uh, I think Trump supporters certainly have energy, but I don't think conservatives do. And that's, and that's something important that a lot of Trump supporters miss when I talk about this. When I say conservatives are going to roll over, they're like Trump supporters get mad at me. I'm like, are Trump supporters traditional conservatives? No, they're not. The traditional conservative, like establishment Republican types are going like, well, you know, we'll go to work in this and go to bed and then wake up to fight another day. You've, you've, you're, you've lost. It's done. You'll never win again. You, like at each and every election is the Republicans losing more and more ground and then just capitulating to Democrats on the left. At a certain point, people are going to snap. And we're starting to see it like that video of the woman who beat the cop with their own baton. Man, things are getting crazy, but I'll leave it there. Enjoy it in New York. I hope you all are having a good time. Next segment's coming up on my other channel, which can be found by typing in youtube.com forward slash Timcast. And that video will be up at 4 p.m. If you want to watch that video, here's all you got to do. At 4 p.m., go to your browser, type in youtube.com slash Timcast, press enter, and subscribe to that channel when you go there, right? All right, I'll see you then. Thanks for hanging out. A Republican congressman-elect, Luke Letlow, has died of complications from COVID-19. He was 41 years old. My condolences and, uh, you know, to the family, to his friends. It's a tragic story, and it's, and it's a bit of a bummer to hear these things happen. And I think it's a, a reminder that COVID-19 is, it, it, it kills people. And a lot of people have died. But already we're seeing the, the, the politics come into play. And I'm just, I'm just so fed up, man. You know, we're seeing widespread, just like weird violence and riots in major cities because of these lockdowns. And, you know, based on the numbers, COVID is, is, they take stories like this about Luke Letlow, they make it seem like the whole world is exploding because of COVID, and it's not. The reality is, as I think essentially everybody, I say essentially everybody, has said is that, yeah, COVID-19 is a real problem, but locking everything down, destroying the economy and destroying people's livelihoods, property, and business is not solving the problem, and we can't stop the spread of the infection. They say, you know, 15 days to slow the spread. We're now uh, just past 10 months, 10 and a half months or so. Oh, no, I'm sorry, just shy of 10 months because it was March. And the, the, the infection rate is still going up and people like Luke are still getting sick and losing their lives. The politicking has, has, is just absolutely despicable. We saw the same thing with Herman Cain. When he died, we get the same fake narrative. They say, oh, but they didn't wear a mask. But according to Fauci and the World Health Organization and all the news outlets, masks don't protect you when you wear them. So why is it an issue? And they're like, oh, he got sick and he didn't wear a mask. That doesn't mean anything. I think the sad reality is we cannot, we are not immortals. 
Sometimes people die, and sometimes it's because of things like COVID-19. You know, a lot of people have pointed out that Luke seemed to have been a fairly cautious individual when it came to COVID and was respectful, but had a similar opinion to me or many others that we can't just let the country burn itself to the ground because of fears over this uh, over this, this this virus. The survival rate for people under 70 is 99.9%. But that does mean that, what, about one in a thousand people, 99.99 or so, but one in a thousand, one in 500 people, that's a lot of people are going to lose their lives. Right now, I think we're at one in a thousand in the total death count relative to the U.S. population. What the left doesn't seem to understand is that, you know, I guess I guess their mentality is everybody should hide. And just like, And I don't mean that like figuratively or, or disparagingly, that they literally mean people should hide from the virus. They should stay away. They should lock their doors. We can't do that. The other, the other thing I'll, I'll add to, and we'll read the story, and I want, I want to talk about some of the things that are being said, because I'm just, I'm fed up with it, you know? I think, uh, look, it doesn't make sense to have mass, you know, statewide lockdown rules when many, most states they have big urban centers and then spread out suburban and rural areas. Does it make sense to have a one size fits all rule? If you want to lock down a city, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, you got a lot of people. It's very dense. But why lock down the entire state and tell a small town of a couple hundred they can't have their, you know, berry fair or whatever it is? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Let me read this story. And, uh, you know, with, with respect and condolences to the family, the New York Times reports Luke Letlow. Republican who was elected to the House of Representatives this month to represent Louisiana's 5th Congressional District died Tuesday evening of complications from COVID-19, a spokesman said. He was 41. Mr. Letlow was set to take office on Sunday. His death was confirmed by several politicians, including Representative Garrett Graves of Louisiana, who said in a Facebook post that the death of his friend and former co-worker was a huge loss to Louisiana and America. Mr. Letlow died at the Oshner LSU Health Medical Center in Shreveport, Louisiana, said the spokesman, Andrew Bosch. Mr. Letlow said on December 18th that he was isolating at home after testing positive for the coronavirus. He was hospitalized a day later in Monroe, Louisiana, before being transferred to the hospital in Shreveport on December 22nd. Mr. Bosch said on December 23rd, Mr. Letlow had been receiving the antiviral drug remdesivir and steroids to treat his infection. On December 21st, while he was hospitalized in Monroe, Mr. Letlow urged people who had recovered from COVID-19 to donate plasma. Your plasma is especially needed by those who are suffering. He wrote in a tweet, I cannot stress this enough. Please consider saving lives by going out and donating at your local blood bank. He did not have any underlying conditions that would have increased his chances of dying from COVID-19. Dr. G.E. Ghali, a doctor at the Shreveport Hospital, told the advocate in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So let me just stress this point. It is exceptionally, exceptionally rare that somebody with no underlying conditions under the age of 70 dies from the coronavirus. This is absolutely anomalous. And, it, and it's a tragedy not to undermine, you know, this incident, uh, this incident in any way. I just, you know, you know, we're now seeing many people on the left use this as their justification for why they shouldn't work why, you know, we shouldn't reopen and why your business needs to be shut down. We can't play these games. You know, I, I remember uh, reading about a gun control instance. There was a, a, a tragic event in Europe where a guy with a gun, you know, committed a tragedy. I'll, we'll leave it there. I'll keep it vague. And the response from this country was to mourn and carry on, realizing that, 
You know, these things are anomalous. You can't control the wind. You can only adjust your sails, right? That's the saying goes that sometimes bad people do bad things. Sometimes people get sick and die. Let me tell you something. As much as people are trying to use this man's death for political purposes, you know, I've had friends whose parents were of comparable age who died of, you know, they got a cold and then the cold got worse and worse and they died. No, for real, like a you know, cold became something else. I've seen people die of the flu. It happens. What, what's happening now is we're seeing many on the left look at this and say, see, this proves it. Everything should be locked down. And it's like, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Is it tragic and, and horrifying? This man lost his life? Sure. But what about the people who have lost their lives for tons of other, you know, relatively common or, you know, relatively uncommon diseases in this in, in the past year, the past couple of years? It happens. We cannot expect human beings to be immortal. We must recognize mortality and we can't sacrifice the healthy because some people get sick. Now, COVID-19 is serious. And I and, and look, I, I love I love this to the left. They say I downplay the virus. Why? Because they're shrieking about it as though the world is ending. A lot of people have died of covid most of them have had underlying health conditions, and most of them have been over the age of 70. That's why I always say protect the vulnerable, social distance, wear a mask, but we must get the economy back in gear because we cannot let 200 plus million people starve because we're worried about the death rate for a virus that we know we can't stop. Earlier this year, they said 15 days to slow the spread. Why? We cannot stop people from contracting COVID. We cannot. But we can spread out the rate of infection. We can slow it down so that hospitals don't get overwhelmed. My friends, Mr. Letlow made it to the hospital. He received treatment. And unfortunately, he did not make it. This happens. I have seen people in my life die. Perhaps the issue is a lot of the people on the left who are very much, you know, demanding of the lockdowns and strict, you know, mil- uh, I, I don't want to say martial law is not military law, but totalitarian rule are just too young and they've not experienced death and tragedy. I've actually watched people die like in person. I have seen some horrifying things in my life and I recognize humans are mortal. I look at the math and I try to make sure that when we're talking about death, destruction, chaos, illness, we're not being carried away. There's something that I refer to often as the scaling problem, but it probably needs a better uh, a better name. And the, 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 the way I'll break it down is as the volume of information increases, or I should say as volume increases, tolerance for error decreases. So to give you, and, and maybe there's a better way to explain it, but the general idea is a lot of people die for a lot of different reasons. A lot of people die because of COVID. But the news is just putting out all these stories, and this is what gets everyone's attention. So when they see a story about a 41-year-old man with no underlying conditions dying of COVID, they panic. They freak out, and they say, why wasn't he wearing a mask? Why aren't people wearing masks? Oh, no. But what don't they know about, and what aren't they hearing about? The, the what, what I mean by this scaling problem, the you know, the, the, as volume increases, tolerance for error decreases. Uh, the way I explain it is if you have 100 phones that are given out by a company and 1% of those phones break, one person complains, nobody cares. Why? We heard one story about one person having a broken phone. 
But if you if if you, if they issue out 100,000 phones and now you have a thousand stories of broken phones, everybody thinks there's some serious crisis because all they hear about all day is all these different stories of broken phones, not realizing that it's the increase in volume that is in, uh, increasing the perception that there's a serious problem when in reality it's the same margin of failure. The tolerance for failure starts to go down. That's what we see here. How many people have already gotten COVID? 17 point some odd million people uh, confirmed cases of COVID. 300 or so thousand people have lost their lives. One death is a tragedy. But the point I'm trying to make is we can't just destroy the engine, jam a, 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 you know, a spike in the gears because we're seeing people die. If anything, that will only make it worse. They're going to say in the runoff against another Republican, Mr. Letlow was elected to succeed Ralph Abram, Abraham, who won, uh, uh, whom Mr. Letlow had served as chief of staff. Mr. Letlow is survived by his wife, Julia, and their two children, Jeremiah and Jacqueline. Speaker Pelosi said in a statement tonight, the United States House of Representatives sadly mourns the passing of Congressman-elect Luke Letlow. Congressman-elect Letlow was a ninth generation Louisianian, Louisianian who fought passionately for his point of view and dedicated his life to public service. Kevin McCarthy, the House Minority Leader, said our hearts break tonight as we process the news of Congressman-elect Luke Letlow's passing. Respect to uh, Pelosi and McCarthy um, for, you know, making these statements that are just right on, right on point. Uh, look, I, I think you can point out the man lost his life and you can say it with, uh, with dignity and respect and you can disagree with them. But I'm not a fan of dancing on graves. I've seen conservatives do it. Uh, I saw, uh, I shouldn't say conservatives. I've seen Trump supporters dance on the grave of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Not a fan at all. None whatsoever. It just makes the fighting worse. It makes people angrier and increases the tension between, you know, rival factions. Now, we need to, we need to respect certain boundaries, you know. We play games. You know what I mean? Like we play airsoft, we play paintball. Because we don't want to hurt anybody, but we want to have fun and have that exhilarating excitement. Yet we want to fight passionately for what we believe in, but we don't want people dying. But listen, I think one of the big differences, you got a lot of young people on the left, you know, early 20s who they don't have the life experience. And I'm not saying this to be disrespectful, but they've not witnessed death. Many of them, a lot of, a lot of people obviously witness death, but a lot of people just don't get it. You know, humans die. There's nothing we can do about it. I mean, I should say, there are things we can do to, to reduce death, to mitigate death. Uh, you could wear a mask, for instance, and some people don't wear masks. But let me let me let me break down the mask thing for you. Let me show you some tweets. Michael Tracy says, knee jerk commentators on Twitter are apparently 100 percent sure that Congressman elect Luke Letlow was a despicable covid denier on the basis of nothing except their own sick hunch and desire for political vengeance sums up exactly what my complaint is here. Look at what's trending right now on, on Twitter. Cove idiot. I wonder why. How disgusting. How gross is this? Let me show you some stuff. The good God above. Yes, the famous leftist good God, fake God parody account says, how will Republicans react to the Republican congressman who sadly died of COVID at 41? Take COVID seriously now. Pretend he never existed. How completely and utterly despicable completely despicable. I'll tell you how people will probably react. I can't speak for some of the, you know, staunchest conspiracy types uh, of which there are many on the left as well, but it tends to be a phenomenon of the right. The people who are, you know, who don't believe anything's really going on with COVID. 
Let me tell you what people are going to say. Look at this. You can all see Herman Cain is now trending. I'll tell you how people will react. They'll say sometimes people die. Trump never said COVID was a hoax. That's a lie. And that's what they keep pushing now. They say all the conservatives say it's a hoax, it's a hoax, it's a hoax. And now they want their vaccines. No, Trump said the Democrats hoax was that he didn't respond properly to COVID. These people love dancing on graves. And again, I'll stress the point. Trump supporters were dancing on Ruth Bader Ginsburg's grave. I can't stand any of it. I'll cri- I, I criticized that when it happened. So don't play games. I think it's disgusting. I am sickened by this. Dude died. Okay. COVID-19. I'll tell you what I've been saying. Earlier in this year, novel virus hits and we got hit hard by it. A lot of people died and we saw the videos. We saw the refrigeration trucks. It was scary. We saw the, the I mean, they were digging mass graves on, in New York. But we, we slowed the spread and things, you know, s- simmered down. Now they're saying it's spiking again and it's getting out of control. Yes, showing that the lockdowns were never intended to stop it and we can't slow it down anymore. We have a vaccine that's great. So what are we doing? We need to better protect the vulnerable and get back to work. It doesn't make sense, for instance, in California, that this woman, this viral video, has her outdoor gazebo picnic seating shut down and right next to it, Hollywood's doing literally the same thing. That's the problem. You can't allow a bunch of companies to remain open and do whatever and then act like you're slowing the spread or trying to stop it. Walmart stays open. Amazon deliveries continue. People still get sick. Yeah, COVID's scary, man. Lingering health effects. But you know, I was talking about the other day. We did this segment on this nurse who said, if I gave you millions of Skittles and 300,000 would kill you, would you eat it? It's like, listen, working to feed our families and survive is not eating candy. And we recognize risk exists. We are not children who are going to sit back scared, cowering, begging the government to save us. We have to say, am I willing to assume the risks? And if you choose, that's your choice. If you are concerned about COVID, lock your doors, wash your hands, put a UV light in front of your house. And whenever a delivery comes, you know, shine a UV light over the whole thing. And I'm not, I'm I'm being serious. If you are concerned about getting COVID and you want to take it seriously, that's your choice. They don't believe this. The left is basically saying that you should not be allowed to go out and work because I'm concerned about the risk that you might bring. But the risk is always on you. Imagine if, you know, somebody was like driving, uh, driving a car is another example. You shouldn't be allowed to drive because you might crash into me. When that makes no sense. People get hit by cars. People die. It's, it's tragic. It's an accident. What do we do? We try to reduce it, but it happens. What if every day the news reported every single car collision and then started telling us that we have a very serious car problem? You know, you'd, you'd think there was an epidemic of car violence. COVID is a disease. People can spread it without knowing it. But you have a choice to not go to work, to lock your door. And I think that's the appropriate uh, way to, to deal with this. People shouldn't be forced to go to work. You should be allowed not to work. And and employers should be allowed to reopen and the people who want to work might get sick, but we protect and isolate the vulnerable. We provide masks and like we're doing now, but we allow people to work. This is what I want to point this out. Eric Feigl Ding tweets, let this sink in. A 41 year old GOP congressman elect has just died of COVID-19. Doctors say Letlow did not have any underlying health conditions. He repeatedly did not wear a mask. 
and he often held maskless, maskless, maskless indoor campaign events. Now I want to show you this story about Herman Cain. Reuters wrote in July, on July 30th, Herman Cain, ex-presidential candidate who refused to wear mask, dies after COVID-19 diagnosis. What does mask have to do with it? No, serious question. They say that uh, wearing a mask stops you from spitting on other people. Are they implying that he got COVID and could have infected other people? OK, that's, that's, that's an argument. That's not what they're saying, though. When they put up a story about a guy who dies and says he doesn't wear a, he didn't wear a mask, they're continuing the lie. The mask protects you. I'm sick of it. The mask doesn't. It never did. That was never the reason for masks. This is why I don't care about wearing masks. And you know, you know what I do? I'll tell you how I respond. Oh, I'll tell you this. When I see someone at the store and they're not wearing a mask, you know what I do? I walk right around them and continue shopping and mind my own business. And I use hand sanitizer and I, ex- I, I accept the risks. There's this crazy story I've been, I was watching, man. I'm going to tell you some crazy story. There's this dude. His name is Nicholas Mullins. And uh, sorry to invoke you in a political video because I don't want to drag him into whatever this, any of this politics stuff. But uh, he's a skateboarder. He's blind. And he's a really, really good skateboarder. He's like substantially better than me or most skateboarders. I tell you, I, I'm, not, I'm not even kidding. And he's blind. And, and what happened was when he was younger, uh, like, like, like I think like seven years ago, he was skateboarding and he fell and he scraped his leg. That was it. Just like it happens to me all the time. I mean, I got a, I got a massive, I bashed my thumb the other day. My wrist is probably broken. I just ignore it, whatever. But uh, he was just skating. He fell and he scraped his leg. And he didn't think anything of it. He got a blood infection and it put him in a, he got put in a coma. It knocked him out and it destroyed his eyesight. He was like on the verge of death. He's still, he's, he, he gets back, he, you know, he comes back into skateboarding, he's blind, he figures it out, and now he's one of the, I, I gotta tell you, I, I mean it, he's one of the best skateboarders I've ever seen, and he's blind. It's incredible, because he just has that feel, it's, 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 it's amazing. But I want, I, want you to, I want you to think about stories like that, that you, you, can, you can be walking down the street, trip and fall, and get a bump on your hand, and, and, and get sick, and it, and it can happen. You know, it used to be uh, in this world that you'd, you'd get a cut on your leg walking through the woods and go, oh, oh well, got to lose the leg now, I guess. You know, not, not every cut was an infection, but people didn't realize you had to wash your hands until what, like the late 1800s or something or early 1900s, probably, probably the 1800s or whatever. But isn't that crazy? We are fighting every day to help people survive. We're fighting every day to figure out ways that we can prevent death, but we are not gods. We are not immortal. Sometimes, no matter what you do, you get sick. They talk about Herman Cain. Uh, how old was Herman Cain when he died? He was 74. He was in the affected group, and, and it happened. Wearing a mask wouldn't have saved him. I suppose he could have hid, you know, stay, I'm not going out until the pandemic's over. He'd still be alive, perhaps. But what's happening to the older folks who are isolated? They're deteriorating. They have no one around them. They can't socialize. They can't do anything. They can't go outside and they're deteriorating. And many of these people are dying from from this. And it's not even being you know called a COVID death. I've seen the stories on social media where they're like, my grandparents are worse than they've ever been because there's no social interaction. They're not getting up. They're not going out. They're not walking. They're just wasting away. I don't have all the answers, man. You know, it's sad to hear that this guy died. And of course, it's politically expedient for the left now to jump all over and say, see, ha ha, ha ha. I'm not a fan of dancing on graves. I didn't even dance on the, I don't, I'm not, I, didn't, I didn't even dance on the grave of John McCain. Okay. And John McCain was a warmonger who, uh, you know, I'm, I'm particularly critical of, 
But I, 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 you know what I said about John McCain? I said, you know, look, I, he, he, he served his country the way he thought he needed to. And for all his faults, you know, my respect to anybody who wants to serve in the government. And I'm saying that because I, I, I don't like uh, death. I value life. And I recognize nobody's perfect. And most people think that the heroes of their own story. Trying to navigate through this system to figure out the best way to, uh, you know, work and live together is tough. But giving people respect and not being mean and contributing to the nastiness is one of the most important things we can do. It's my biggest gripe with the left. They take things I say out of context just to be mean and nasty. Like, why do that? Like, I'm not mean to you. I did a video that was criticizing Jen Uger of the Young Turks, and I gave him, I said, here's why, where, where he's right. Here's why I give him respect. Here's what I disagree with. I'm not going to come out a video and make fun of people for their way they look or their weight or anything like that. It's just, people are so nasty. You know what I mean? I don't want to play that game. I don't want to be involved in it. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, it's bad enough I have to do a segment on this. I don't want to do it. I'll be, I'll be honest with you guys. When I saw the story, I was like, it needs to be talked about. It does. But do I really want to do a video where I'm like, look how the left is reacting and politicizing this, this, this poor guy and his family? I didn't want to do it. I'd have no problem just doing a video, a very short one saying, you know, my condolences, this guy lost his life. It's, it's, it's tragic. But we got to address the politics and we got to address the nastiness. And that's just the way it is. I got, I got, a, I got more segments coming up later. Um, it'll be at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out and I will see you all then.